All right, well, I'm gonna pray one more time and then we're gonna um, continue our series on the Holy Spirit this morning. Um, Very briefly before I pray, we have spent five weeks already talking about the Holy Spirit after kind of introducing an overview of the series. Um, We spent four weeks talking about who he is, who he is. And we focused on the fact that he's a connector. He connects us to the family of God, both with our Father in heaven and with each other. Um, He is our helper. He gives us strength and power to not only change, to see change produced in our life and to grow, but also he gives us help to impact people around us. And that might be as simple as the very people living in our home with us. Um, How many of you know you need some help in your marriage relationships and in your relationships with your parents or your kids? Absolutely. But also to impact beyond um, just our home but where he's uniquely and specifically placed us in our jobs and our neighborhoods. And so he helps us. He's our comforter. Um, He brings comfort and encouragement all along the way as we face the difficulties of this life. And then last Sunday, we talked about the fact that he is our teacher. He teaches us. He invites us into knowing him, understanding ourselves, and understanding this world that we live in. And so that requires humility on our part to entrust him to be our guide and our teacher. So that's some ground we've covered already. This morning, we're starting kind of the second part of this series. We're talking about how do we cultivate a personal relationship with him. We've learned who he is, what he's about, but now how do I know him? How do I recognize his voice and his presence in my life? How do I cultivate that relationship? That's where we're going uh, starting right now this morning. So let's pray and let's invite him because um, for sure, more than you need anything I can share this morning, we need him to show up and do what he does. We need him to come invite us into that relationship. And, and so let's, let's invite him now to come and do that. So, Father, we love you. We thank you specifically that the scripture says that you are a really good dad who gives really good gifts and that one of those primary gifts is the gift of your spirit, your Holy Spirit, your presence in our lives. Jesus, we thank you that you've loved us, you've redeemed us, you're the Savior, you're our Lord, and you said it was to our benefit that you returned to the Father so the Holy Spirit could come and be present in our lives. And so, Jesus, thank you for making that way. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are alive and you are present and that you desire real relationship with us so we can know and experience the love of God so we can grow and change and be the people we were made to be. And God, so we can have an impact in this world, sharing your love with others. Holy Spirit, would you come and teach us this morning how we can know you better and how we can cultivate a healthy relationship with you. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Caleb, um, I am going to switch point one to the very end because I think it's going to make more sense at the end, buddy. So just kind of hang with me there. So that whole kind of first page, we're going to swap up. I, I, um, I, I'll share a little bit why I'm doing that quickly. Um, I wrestle with this this morning because we're talking about cultivating a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I don't, I don't want to start with the assumption that, that we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I was going to open talking about just how we receive the Holy Spirit in our lives. But it's such a point of response. I think what we're going to do is kind of save that for the last five or 10 minutes. And so I just want to encourage you that's coming. But I want us to know up front, first and foremost, I have to decide that I want to receive him into my life. 
and that this is a relationship that I want to cultivate and that I'm meant to have. And so just, just know and hear and understand God designed us for relationship. I hope you get tired of hearing that here. Not actually that you get tired of it, but that you hear it so much here, you're like, yeah, Jake, I know, we're meant for relationship. But we talk about that not to just repeat a sentence over and over again, but it's like the whole point. If we allow Christianity just to become a religious box that I check, if, if reading my Bible or going to church is something I'm just trying to do to appease God or to kind of be okay with the big man upstairs, I'm missing out. He designed me to experience real living relationship with him. He is life itself. And to, to live the life he's intended for me, man, I'm meant to be connected with him. And so the Holy Spirit's role primarily is to connect us with God so we could know him and experience his love in our life. And any of the ways that we, we read about what the Holy Spirit does outwardly and, and how people maybe get healed or have, have these divine spiritual encounters, those are for a purpose. They're for the purpose of people experiencing the love and power of God in their lives. God cares about people, so you know what? He wants to heal them. God cares about people, so he wants to speak words of encouragement into our lives when we're discouraged. God, God wants us to learn and to grow and to live healthy, productive lives, and we were meant to do that by being connected with him. And so we're made for relationships. So towards the end of, of this service, I'm going I'm to talk about how, how do we receive the Holy Spirit into our lives. And I hope, I hope to bring some clarity to that because I do think there can be some confusion about well, when do I receive the Holy Spirit? What's the baptism of the Holy Spirit? How does this work? So we're going to do that at the end. Is that all right? Okay, so with that said, I want to begin by talking with you about how we recognize the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. How do we hear his voice? How do we know him? And so we're going to cover um, four to five kind of points here that, that help us recognize or understand him in our life. So the first thing we're going to do is pick up with a verse that we left off with last Sunday when we were talking about him being our teacher. And so it's a verse found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want to read verses 14 through 17 with you. This is Paul writing to Timothy. It's a, it's a man that he has poured his life into and discipled. Timothy has walked with Jesus for a long time. He's now beginning to have his own impact in the world around him. He's a pastor, and so he's teaching and leading others. And Paul is, is reminding him of something and encouraging him to continue in it. And so here we go, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, this is a personal message, Timothy, as for you, continue. Can you guys say continue? Continue, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's, he's telling Timothy, buddy, you've been walking with the Lord and reading God's word since you were a kid. Continue in that. Not, hey, you read the Bible once, you kind of got it figured out, now it's time to move on to something else. Continue in the reading of the scripture. It is meant to make you wise. There's always more to mind, more truth to understand. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God 
and is profitable for teaching. You can learn new things you didn't know. It's profitable for reproof and correction. Hey, when you're off track, when you're making a mistake, it's beneficial to help you get back on track. In fact, it's beneficial for training in righteousness. Now, it'd be easy to look at training and feel like he's just repeating that it's, that it's useful for teaching. But training is different than teaching. I can sit in a classroom and take in information and be taught. Training is active. I'm putting it to use. I'm, I'm taking the word of God and practicing it out in my life. And it leads to righteousness. And, and, you know, righteousness maybe in your mind has been equated to just doing all the right things all the time. That's not really the fullness of what it means. Righteousness is just right standing with God. It's, it's living life the way we were intended to live it. And so it's beneficial for all of that, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word is beneficial for all of those reasons. Additionally, not only does it benefit us by teaching us things we don't know, correcting us when we're off track, um, it's meant to be something we apply to our lives so we get trained in it, um, but Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is living and active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, it pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, I don't know how you read that verse. But what that particular verse is saying is that the Bible reads you. That's what it's saying. It penetrates your heart. It's, it speaks into your depths. It helps you figure out and sort out, man, what's just kind of some funk that I'm believing that's not accurate? What's God really designed for me? What's taking place in my heart? It's like God's word comes and does surgery inside of me. And so the exchange that's happening here is I read God's word to know him better, but I also read God's word to invite him in to do some work in my life. It's an exchange that takes place. So what does this have to do with recognizing the Holy Spirit? I want to give you three tangible ways that God's word helps us to recognize the Holy Spirit. If you're a note taker, you could jot these down. Number one, Learning who he is. Learning who he is. The content of the scripture teaches me about who God is. Why would that be important? Well, if I think I'm experiencing the Holy Spirit's voice in my life, and maybe I think he's directing me towards something to do something, or maybe I think he's, he's trying to get me to stop doing something, or maybe there's someone else around me who's telling me the Holy Spirit is saying this, I have something to compare it to to say, does this accurately reflect who he is? It's, it's so easy if we're not careful, and this happens in Christian circles all the time, but it happens in our individual hearts, where we think we're hearing the Spirit of God speaking, but really my emotions are talking. And I can even find a random verse or two that'll really support how my emotions are feeling right now in this moment. But when I take in the fullness, the completeness of the word of God, and I'm getting to know who God is according to scripture, then I, I have a more clear and accurate representation so I can, I can know, hey, you know what? This actually sounds like the Holy Spirit. This is what he's like. This is, this is the sort of thing he would say. 
This is the kind of thing he would invite me into. That's the sort of thing he would warn me against. That, does that make sense? The content of the scripture helps us to learn who he is. But beyond that, secondly, reading God's word help us, helps us recognize the Holy Spirit because we're learning his language. We're learning his language. It is going to be easier for me to recognize the Holy Spirit as I'm going about my day when I'm a person who's familiar with what his voice sounds like. Does that, does that make sense? I've learned the language of the word of God. I've struggled with this in my own life personally. I've walked with a lot of people over the years who just talk about, man, I, I hear people talking about hearing God's voice or having a relationship with him, and I just, I don't get that. I don't see that. I don't hear that. And I think a great place to start, in fact, I know a great place to start, is to read his word because it will, it will help me become familiar with what his voice sounds like. When I know the word of God and then I think he's saying something throughout my day, it's going to resonate. It's going to sound familiar. Learning the language of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just the content. I begin to recognize his voice and go, man, that sounds a lot like him. And then thirdly, this kind of ties in with learning his language, but it's, it's like a, a step closer. Recognizing his personal voice. Okay, so imagine, if you will, you know, I wanted to talk to my buddy Manuel, and I wanted to speak to him in his native language. I would have to do some studying and learn. Is, is the language called Mozambique, or what, what's, the, what's the language? I don't even know. Or no, you speak Portuguese. Yeah, that's right. But there's, some tri there's also some, like, tribal languages, right? Yeah, like several. Like, you speak, like, four languages. Yeah. Six. Six languages. Oh, <laughs> No big deal, just sick. I'm like struggling with one language up here. Like I can't even make a basic point this morning and bros speak in six languages. But if, but if I wanted to speak with him in, in one of his native languages, a part of that would be learning the language. But once I've learned Portuguese as an example, if I want to have communication with Manuel, well, he's going to have a specific lingo and dialect, probably the region that he's from. They speak Portuguese a certain way because like your buddy Rodrigo grew up in Brazil speaking Portuguese. I'm guessing there's some slang that's a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. yeah right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he's saying that's the difference between speaking Southern or like if you're from California. That's the difference between Brazilian Portuguese. Now... Now, so is Brazilian Portuguese like the Southern, like redneck? That's kind of the redneck Portuguese. <laughs> Mozambique is like the California, like cool, the cool version. You tell him he's redneck. <laughs> you speak exactly how it's read. See, there you go. So you're the pro. Love that. It is. Yeah, it is for sure. And so you learn the language, but then you get to know a person's voice and dialect. I mean, I've been in settings where people are using terms that I think I know, and they're using them in completely different ways. Um, but what eventually happens is you build a relationship with someone, and you begin to recognize their voice. Then, and I don't even know that we have this experience anymore, but you used to pick up the phone and not know who was going to be on the other end of the line. Is anybody old enough to remember those days? I, I don't anymore. I'm like... You know, I'm looking at, do I know that number? Um, but you used to pick up the phone and not know. 
But if it's someone you knew intimately, a close friend, the minute they said, hey, you know it's them, you recognize their voice. That's how the word of God can work in recognizing the Holy Spirit's voice. So I'm studying the content of scripture to know who he is. I'm also kind of learning just the language of heaven. How does God talk? And then finally, how this works when I'm reading the Bible is I'm not just reading it to understand the words on a page or to learn a biblical concept, but I'm reading God's word expecting that he might have something to say to me right now. And I don't know if you've experienced this, maybe in a sermon, hopefully in your own private reading time where you're reading something and suddenly it is like leaping off the page at you. Or you just know, like it's speaking right to a specific issue going on in your life. And you're like, okay, this is beyond just my daily reading. Like God's speaking to my heart right now. If, if we will approach God's word expecting that he would talk to us, he will. He does. I think so often the, the, the primary reason we don't hear his voice is because we're not expecting to. What if I expected today to open up the Bible and have an actual encounter with God? Think about this. The creator of the universe wants to talk to you. He's got stuff to say. He loves you. He believes in you. He wants to encourage you. He's, he's involved in the day-to-day of your life. And when, when we begin to recognize his voice more and more clearly, practicing that through the reading of the word and hearing him speak to us, then suddenly when I've encountered what it's like to have scripture read me, I recognize him doing surgery in my heart through his word. Then on a random Tuesday afternoon when I'm out and about and I feel that same thing, I'm like, oh, I recognize that voice. That's God's spirit speaking to me right now. I sure didn't come up with that. And we can, we can see the difference. Is this making sense this morning? And so, so reading the word of God in order to know his language, know his character, but to learn to recognize his voice so that when you know what it's like when he's talking to you while reading the word, you'll recognize his voice when you're out and about in day-to-day life because that's what he has for us. All right, let's keep going. So secondly, another way that we can recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm just sort of titling this through a worshipful life. Another way we can recognize his voice is by living a worshipful life. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that, number one, is worshiping him regularly. Don't don't just consider worship this 30-minute thing that we do once a week when we gather in this space and we sing the words that are on the screen. Worship is more than that. That's an aspect of worshiping God, but it's more than that. Purpose to glorify God today. That's it. It could be singing to him as you're going through your day. It could be, God, here's here's the the things that are ahead of me today. I'm going to work today. These are the people I'm going to be around. God, I get a day to spend with my kids today. Lord, what would it look like if I was worshiping you with my life? What if the way that I treated people today brought you some glory? Now, the reason I say live a worshipful life to recognize the Holy Spirit's presence is is if you decide to live to glorify God, you're going to need some help. (laughs) You're going to find out real quick, 
I've had plenty of days where I know I'm going to be home with the kids all day. And my goal is to have a great day and to love on them. And then like an hour later, I'm just like, oh my gosh, they're driving me insane right now. Like I need a, I need a break. I got to get out of here. I got to sneak off to my room for like an hour and get away. Something. Like it's hard to love people. Am I the only one? <laughs> people are difficult. I'm difficult. It's hard for people to love me. The, those, but if I purpose to, to glorify God with my life, then, then I'm going to need the Holy Spirit to help me do that. And so here's how this works, right? If I've purposed to do that, to live a worshipful life, then I know I'm going to need some help, so I'm going to start my day with an expectation. God, I'm expecting that I'm going to need you today, and I'm expecting that you'll show up. I'm, I'm expecting that that will happen. I'm going to need you throughout the day today. And you promised that you're always with me. You never leave me. You never forsake me. So you'll be there. So I'm going to live with the expectation that you're going to be here. So a worshipful life purposes to glorify him, expects him to show up. And then thirdly, this is important. Man, this, this was life-changing for me as a young adult learning to recognize the Holy Spirit's presence in my life. This is going to sound really simple, but I'm telling you, if you do it, it's a game changer. When you're living, expecting to hear from him and expecting to see him show up, what you need to be ready to do is really simple. Respond. Respond. It could be that he's inviting you to do something. You know what you should do? You should do it. It might be that he's correcting you. See, one of our responses might be obedience, but another response might be repentance. God, the thing you just highlighted to me is how I really blew it right there with my kids that I got irritated with. So what do I do with that? Man, I acknowledge that it was broken. I, I even go to my kids and make it right. Like, let me live this out. And so I respond to what he says. And when we begin to practice this habit of responding to him, guess what happens? We hear him more. It's like any other relationship. If I'm actually taking the time to sit down and hang out with Jared, and he's talking with me, and I'm listening to what he says, and I'm talking with him, and we're engaging with one another, and then the next day I pick up the phone and we do it again, guess what's going to develop? A relationship. It's going to start happening more and more naturally. But if he's just talking to like a brick wall and there's nothing coming through and there's no response, that's not a real relationship. See, sometimes my response to him might not be a behavior. It might not be something he's asking me to do. My response to him might be, hey, I saw him do something really cool in my life, so I'm giving him credit for it. My response is gratitude. God, thank you for that. And one of the things I've realized is there are a lot of things that happen through the day that are pretty great. And I don't think about them. I don't, I don't, I don't acknowledge that it's actually a beautiful gift that God just gave. I notice the things that go wrong and feel like, why did that happen? I've lived in this world long enough to know it's actually a miracle that anything good happens on this earth. There's a whole lot of brokenness. There's a whole lot of sin. There's a whole lot of wounded people. I'm, I'm one of the biggest ones of them. I'm a broken, wounded person. And you know what happens with broken, wounded people? They hurt other people too. They break things. They make mistakes. 
And so really the thing that should surprise us is when something works. Oh, this was a wonderful interaction with someone. God, you really took care of me with this today. And if I begin to give him credit for the things he's, the blessings in my life, I will start to see that he's blessing me all the time. We, we miss his presence because we're not responding to him. So purpose to glorify God, expect that he'll show up and then respond. Obey when you're supposed to obey, repent when you need to repent. Thank him if you see him doing something great. If something difficult's going on, be aware that he's there and pray. Your response to him could be, God help. God help, would you show up in this moment? If we, if we learn to respond to him, it will be amazing to see how much he's actually present and talking to us. It was, it was a game changer for me. I've, I've shared this story before, but um, I've had a couple of different seasons of this in my life. But, but one of the ways I've personally recognized the Holy Spirit in my life is actually in the realm of repentance, um, where there's, there's like a, maybe a habitual sin that I just am having trouble breaking, and I'm kind of going through this struggle over and over again. And for large chunks of my life, I can just feel condemned and beat myself up and feel ashamed. And I feel like the Lord began to teach me, like, no, that's when you need me. That's when you need me. I'm right there in the middle of that, of that thing you want to overcome, that sin that you're sick and tired of. And so invite me into those moments. And so what, what I've noticed him do in my life is when I've got that thing I'm struggling with, I recognize that it just happened, and there's that little thing that just goes, ah, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And I respond with, with confession. God, I did this, and I'm sorry, and will you forgive me? And if it's a behavior that affects somebody else finding that person, I did this, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And what responding in repentance does is then I start to be more aware when he warns me before I do it. Have you ever, have you ever caught yourself about to do something you don't want to do? All too often, I'm trying to pull the words back in. But every now and then, I feel like I recognize he's going, hey, don't do that. And I stop. And instead of having to repent, what I've learned is to say, God, thank you. Thank you that you just gave me the strength to say no in that moment. Thank you that you warned me ahead of time. And I give him credit for the fact I was able to, in that particular moment, not stumble in sin. And so I respond in worship. And I just watch this pattern develop. And I've, I've watched him help, help me break free of certain sins and behaviors I just want gone. But I'm recognizing, I'm involving him in the process. And instead of feeling guilty and condemned and beat up, I'm grateful that he's teaching me and leading me and changing me. So a worshipful life, we can recognize his voice by purposing to glorify him. All right, number three, this is vitally important. I can learn to recognize the Holy Spirit's voice through God's people. Check this out. Acts chapter 18. I'll give you, you two examples. I'm going to give you a positive example of how people can help us hear God's voice. And then a, I guess we call it a negative example. It's still a good example, but a correction. The first is a positive. Acts 18, verses 24 through 26. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man competent in the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. Are you, are you catching this? This is a good guy. He's a Bible teacher. He loves Jesus. And he was fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. 
though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Notice this wasn't a guy who was doing something horribly wrong. Man, he was following Jesus. He was fired up. He was passionate. He's sharing the life of Jesus with people, but he still had room to grow. And so how did God use other people in his life? They came alongside and they coached him. They didn't embarrass him. They didn't shame him in front of everybody at the synagogue, but off to the side, they had a conversation and they talked with him. And, and he learned something from God's people. In fact, in this specific context, Apollos was actually learning about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He hadn't heard about that yet. And so God uses people in our lives to teach us who he is and what he's like. Not only will he equip us through other people, he will warn us through other people. Check this out. Here's another follower of Jesus, faithful guy. In Acts chapter 21, you could read through the whole chapter, but we come across Paul. I mean, this is Paul the apostle, man. He's traveling, preaching. He's writing letters to all the churches. Like, he had one of the largest impacts on Christian history. He wrote a bunch of the New Testament that we hold in our hands. And even Paul needed correction from other people in his life. Check this out. Acts 21 verse 4. He's starting out here. He's in this, this area called Tyre, T-Y-R-E. And in verse four, it says, and having sought out the disciples, this is Luke and Paul together, we stayed there for seven days. And through the spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Did y'all hear that? God was using by his spirit, other people to speak something to Paul. It wasn't this direct communication. It was more indirect. God was, was speaking to other people and saying, you need to tell Paul this. Don't go to Jerusalem. Well, Paul ignores it. And he continues on his journey and he makes his way down to Caesarea. And so we're gonna pick that back up in verse 10 now. So now he's in Caesarea. And while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus, there's, a, there's an idea for some of you new moms-to-be. <laughs> I'm just saying, probably your kid is not gonna run into anybody else at school that has that name. So this guy, this prophet Agabus, came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet in his hands and he says, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. There will be times in our life that we are just convinced we know what we're supposed to do. And it's even gonna sound right. I mean, Jesus promised us persecutions, right? He told us we might find ourselves imprisoned or chained. And Paul's saying, hey, I'm just walking out what I see in Scripture. I'm ready to go boldly to Jerusalem and be in chains. But God's not just calling us to do the type of things the Bible says we should do. God is calling us to know him and follow him. Paul probably was going to end up in chains one way or the other. But the Holy Spirit was saying, not yet, buddy. 
And he was so adamant to get this message through to Paul that he sent it through different people in different cities and it still wasn't enough to persuade Paul. Now, the beauty of God is even when we blow it and miss here, he's our God and he's with us. And so God stayed present with Paul. But I'm just saying part of how the Holy Spirit will speak into our lives, God will use other people to give positive direction, teaching and encouragement, and also at times to step in and say, hey, you're, you're off track here. Slow down, consider this, be careful. I, I have sat with people who are just convinced they've heard from God and they're supposed to go do this thing. And everything I'm hearing and me and other friends of theirs are hearing is like, man, that is just, that's wrong. And will you please hear that's wrong? And I just, I feel compelled to warn you because I love you. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not trying to control you. But man, I'm just telling you, I don't think that's right. Will you consider hearing these multiple people that are saying, be careful. And I've seen some people relent and say, all right. And I've seen other people be stubborn and adamant and I've watched it not work out. Will we be open to having some humility, not only to let God correct us, but to let him use his people at times to correct us. It's another way that the Holy Spirit speaks to us is through other people. Scripture talks about how there's uh, safety in a multitude of counselors. It's a great idea, especially for a major life thing. If you think the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and calling you to something, there is not a downside to inviting other people that are in your life who love Jesus and say, will you pray about this with me? Would you seek God on this with me? And hear their input. I realize not every decision requires that. Some decisions are just kind of moment by moment, pretty simple. But there are times where there's like a biggie. And am I willing to let God's people speak into that? All right. He'll speak through his word. He'll speak through a worshipful life. He'll speak through other people. I'm just going to hit these last two briefly. He'll speak through circumstances. God speaks through life circumstances. He'll speak through negative circumstances. That's powerful what Alex was sharing this morning about being in that pit, in that low place. But even in that season, God was showing up in the difficult circumstances and reminding him of the truth of God's faithfulness, that I'm with you in the middle of that. He'll speak to us in positive ways through circumstances. I, I want to give you an example of one. I was very grateful for this. So um, almost exactly three years ago, we're about maybe three or four Sundays away, um, we were reaching the point where behind the scenes, several of us had been planning on moving to Knoxville from the Nashville area to come plant this church. And we were getting close to announcing it publicly at our home church in Franklin. I, we'd been there for 16 years. I'd been on staff for at least a decade there. And, um, and so we identified a specific Sunday in November that we were going to announce it to the congregation that we were heading here. And you know, we're excited, we're nervous, you know, it's a massive life change. We had an established community of friends. Things were good. Things were good. And, and yet, you know, there's just this part of you that's like, okay, God, are we doing the right thing? And so we arrive at church on that Sunday morning, and Pastor Steve gets up and introduces us and announces what's happening, and people pray for us. And at the end of the service, this lady beelines right up to the front, introduces herself and says, I'm in town. I, I've been aware of Grace Chapel for a long time. 
and I'm in town for the women's conference that was happening this weekend, and I decided I'm here. I should stay for Sunday morning church. So I stayed an extra day, and I'm worshiping with you guys today, and I can't believe you're coming to Knoxville. I'm from Knoxville and have been wishing there was a Grace Chapel in Knoxville for years. That person was Don Jerger. I can't tell you how encouraging it was that God used the circumstances of that morning to tell us, hey, you're on the right track. This lady just happened to be in town that Sunday. She had never even attended a Sunday morning service at Grace Chapel. She'd watched online some. She'd been there for a conference years before, but she'd never just been there on a Sunday morning. And, and God used the circumstance that moment to, to encourage us. God speaks through circumstances. Finally, last point this morning. The Holy Spirit will speak to us through supernatural signs. Through supernatural signs. The, the supernatural power of God was not limited to these big, huge miracles we see in the Old Testament. You know, Moses part in the Red Sea and such. It wasn't just limited to the life of Jesus while he was on earth. And it wasn't just limited to the early disciples. God works in powerful, miraculous ways. He intervenes, heaven intervenes in the affairs of earth to bring about healing and change and restore hope and to touch people's lives. The truth is the supernatural is actually what we need and what we were made for. We were made for life to be beyond the natural. We were meant to experience a supernatural way of living where God is present and active and so I actually think it's really God just restoring what he intended when he intervenes into this world and does miraculous things. But he does that. I believe he does that. And the Bible gives plenty of examples. I want to give you just some bullet points through the book of Acts. Um, Philip. Philip's faithfully following Jesus. He's, he's on a road through a desert and he sees this guy in a chariot and the Holy Spirit's like, go talk to that guy. So he goes and he talks to the guy, he shares Jesus with him. He ends up baptizing him. And when he's done baptizing the guy, he disappears and reappears in another town and immediately starts preaching the gospel. It's pretty cool. I personally have not experienced that one yet. But God transported him. Now, did God just do that because he's like, I think this will be really cool and, you know, Philip will have a really neat story to tell everybody? No, there was just... God had a purpose for Philip to be there and he wanted to get him there. So he got him there. He was transported. Paul, think about this. The way that Paul came to know Jesus, this guy was so against Jesus that what it took to get his attention was Jesus appearing in a vision to him on the road to Damascus. He's on his way to persecute Christians and on his way there, boom, there's Jesus and he's having a miraculous encounter with him. He's like, whoa, who are you? Oh, I'm Jesus, the one you've been persecuting. Oh, okay. <laughs> That'll get your attention. But God got his attention. I, I've met people who've had this experience. You know, you and I growing up in America might not feel like we need this. We're hearing about Jesus on every corner. I've got, I've got a friend that works very closely with Muslims and shares Jesus with them. And many of them have had experiences of having Jesus appear in dreams or visions to them to reveal himself. Does God do that because we need really cool stories to tell that will impress people? No. We don't need to go chase these miraculous signs to validate 
that I have this powerful thing happening inside of me because the Spirit of God is in me. It's about the love of God wanting to intervene in people's lives. And you know what? Sometimes it takes a miracle. Salvation's a miracle. That people would ever recognize their need for Jesus is a miracle. And God will do whatever it takes. Peter had a vision. Peter, a Jew, has a vision of this picnic coming down from heaven. I've always imagined this thing was like, was literally like one of those picnic blankets. You know, it says like this blanket came down, there's all this food, and it was like non-kosher food. And the vision was saying, take and eat. And I got to tell you, I am grateful that I can eat pulled pork barbecue (laughs) because God sent Peter a vision to let him know it is all right for followers of Jesus to eat non-kosher food. God used a vision to communicate something important to Peter. Now, God was doing even, even more than just telling him this food is okay. God was saying, hey, my message, the gospel message is for everyone, not just Jews. It's for Gentiles too. And so Peter have a, had a heavenly vision. One more. I want to end with this because it's such a cool story, and maybe you'll even be able to relate to it right now. Um, there is a story of Paul preaching for a very long time, and something unfortunate takes place. So let me read this story to you because I just think we need to let it speak for itself. It's pretty great. This is found in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Paul's been visiting these people, and it's his last night. And so he's just like, man, I got to cram it in. I'm going to give you like eight sermons in one. And so uh, Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, we double-checked how to pronounce his name this morning, old Eutychus, (laughs) I was joking with Crystal and Alex, I want to use that at the next wedding that I do. I now pronounce you man and wife, Eutychus the bride. I got to work in one cheesy pastor joke. Come on. All right. That was terrible. (laughs) A young man named Eutychus was sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Oh, he's going on and on. So the guy's falling asleep. And it says, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. The, The guy literally fell asleep, fell out a window during a sermon and died. I'm, I'm not making this up. Like, this is Bible. Well, the reason we can laugh about it is what takes place next. Um, verse 10. So Paul went down and bent over him and taking in his, him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. Now, this doesn't mean that he wasn't actually dead. This is similar to when Jesus said the girl's only sleeping when the girl, Jairus' daughter had died. Paul goes down, lays hands on him, and the guy raises from the dead. I, I love how the story continues. When Paul had gone up, he broke some bread and ate. He conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. You know, it's every now and then like the Bible way of saying things. It's like a massive understatement. Yeah, I would say they were more than a little comforted that Eutychus was still alive. They watched a guy get raised from the dead. God does miraculous things. The Holy Spirit does miraculous things. And listen, You know, when we read the scripture, we see a lot of this, but for these people, they maybe only experienced one or two or three of these moments in their life. I don't don't know how often it happened, but but they believed that God was present, that he was active, that he was involved in their lives, that he cared about people. 
and that the Holy Spirit would show up to intervene. Listen, I don't want extra things that the Bible doesn't talk about, but I want everything that it does talk about. I want the power and presence of God in my life. I need, I need his love in my life. I want to be able to give that away and share it with other people. And this is how the Holy Spirit operates. We can recognize him in our lives through the reading of God's word, through living a life that intends to worship and glorify God, through God's people in our life, being willing to humble ourselves and listen to each other, by paying attention to circumstances, and even at times by seeing miraculous signs. The Holy Spirit operates like this. Next week, what I want to talk about is the obstacles that keep us from some of this stuff and how we can cultivate a heart that is ready to respond to him. All right, that's where we're heading next week. Okay, here's how I want to finish this morning. I want to finish by by giving you a quick kind of three-point thing on receiving the Holy Spirit. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to close in prayer for all of us Um, because I want to be respectful of of your time. But I just want to say to you, if any of this resonates in your heart this morning and and you don't want to leave this place without talking to somebody, I'm going to hang out up here. And I would love to to talk with you more and pray with you more so that you can leave today knowing I've received the Holy Spirit in my life. But there there are three specific ways that the New Testament teaches that the Holy Spirit kind of comes into our life, okay? Okay. So, first of all, this is just one verse that talks about this. There are several. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul's writing and he's talking about the truth of the gospel of Jesus and the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. And he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Talking about Jesus. So when you, when you accepted salvation, when you believed the gospel of Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire full possession of it to the praise of his glory. The the first way that we receive the Holy Spirit into our lives is at salvation. When I receive Jesus as my savior, God shows up and comes in and says, yes, I'm with you, buddy. I'm with you, gal. I love you. And he brings assurance His presence assures that God is with us and we belong to him forever. He's called the deposit that guarantees our salvation. I absolutely believe that we receive the Holy Spirit into our lives when we accept a relationship with Jesus Christ. However, additionally, we see in Scripture over and over again, a lot of it through the book of Acts, where people have put their faith in Jesus. They've even been water baptized. They've made him their savior, but they didn't realize that there was this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so there are stories of this all throughout Acts, but I want to read what Jesus said about this. In Acts chapter 1, we're going to read verses 4 and 5 and then skip down to verse 8. Jesus is having like one of his final conversations with the disciples before he returns to heaven. It says that while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
I want you to remember a couple things, okay? Number one, baptism means immersion, covered in, filled with. Baptism represents being dead to myself and alive to Christ. It's new life. And so God is saying there's a moment that's meant to come in the life of a believer where I just, I let the Holy Spirit immerse my life. There's not just this deposit in me that's there guaranteeing my salvation. It is power that comes upon me to live a life surrendered to God. Dead to my old way of living, risen into a new life. And I believe a lot of Christians are, are settling for salvation experience, but they're meant, we are meant to experience the power and presence of God in our life every day. Man, it brings fullness, it brings joy, it brings power. Like, like I actually can sacrifice and love my wife. I actually can have victory over sin. I actually can have joy in all kinds of difficult seasons. I actually can experience peace that passes all understanding. This comes with the power and presence of God. We were meant to be immersed in his spirit. And if that is something that's new to you, it's never viewed as like an insult or negative thing in the scripture. We were just talking about Apollos. He was preaching the gospel. He, was, he knew the scripture. He knew God. He was loving people and sharing truth with people. But somebody took the time to him and said, hey, there's this baptism of the Holy Spirit. God wants to come and, and immerse you, fill you with his presence. Do you want that? And you better believe he was like, absolutely. Immersion. And then finally, the third way we see the Holy Spirit show up is, is there's this picture painted of like people getting kind of just a refreshing sense of his presence, a refilling, if you will. Not that he left, but just, man, like a fresh dose of life and energy in his presence. Like, you know those seasons you get where you're just dry? It's a desert season. It's been hard. Man, the Holy Spirit will show up and fill us fresh and new. We see this happen. I'm just going to reference these quickly. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. After Peter's had the upper room experience and been baptized in the Holy Spirit, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Spirit, said to them, the Holy Spirit came upon him in that moment in power to speak some truth. We see something similar happen with Paul after the Damascus Road experience when it makes it clear he was filled with the Spirit in that moment in Acts 13, 9. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked at him intently and then spoke some truth to somebody. In fact, we are all kind of encouraged about this in Ephesians 5.18. This is a verse we read maybe a couple weeks ago. Paul writes and he says, listen, don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The imagery there is regularly filled. Daily. Like, don't just come home at the end of the day and have a beer. Like, each day, get a fresh filling of God's Spirit and presence in your life. I think the best biblical analogy for this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And you know what travels through the vine to the branches? All of the source of life that's needed, all of the nutrients, the water, everything that's needed to produce life. And that's what the Holy Spirit's referred to as rivers of living water that flow through us. And so, so I believe we receive him at, at salvation. I believe there's a moment in time where where we recognize I want the Holy Spirit's full presence in my life. I want to be immersed, baptized in him. I want to live a life surrendered to him. And we get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then I believe, man, as, as believers, 
God wants to regularly fill us with his spirit and his presence. That's available to us. And the scripture makes it really clear. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit in your life, ask. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Ask. Secondly, we wait. Sometimes we wait. The disciples waited for a few weeks. There are moments in time where, where we seek and we hunger for that and we just wait on him. And say, I, I don't know that mystery of like why God makes us be patient sometimes, why we wait, but I think at least a part of it is that walking with the Holy Spirit is gonna be about surrendering my will to his. And so waiting on him to begin with is practicing that. I'm gonna let you be in charge of this, God but I, I want your spirit. I want your presence. Will you come? I've had some desert seasons where I felt like I was waiting for a while. But man, when he showed up, the refreshing power of his presence, oh, life-changing. We wait. So we ask, we wait, and then man, we receive. And he comes. I'm gonna pray over us this morning. And then I would just encourage you, if you feel like you need to receive the Holy Spirit for the first time, if you feel like you're in need of a fresh refilling, please don't leave because you're just in a hurry or worry that you're gonna pester or bother me or be, feel like maybe your spouse is in a rush and you don't wanna inconvenience them. I, I'm willing to, to sit and to wait and would love to pray with you if, if you if you want that, all right? All right. God, we thank you for your incredible love. We thank you that you long for a relationship with us. God, that you're speaking and you're present and you're active. God, I thank you that you'll talk to us through your word and through people and circumstances. God, you'll talk to us in our day-to-day -day life as we're worshiping you as we go. God, you even show up with miraculous signs and wonders. God, more than wanting miracles, what we really want is you. We want the miracle worker. We desire a living, vibrant relationship with you. Holy Spirit, I, I pray for my friends in this room this morning. God, if they've never felt the fullness, experienced the fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God, where you just come upon us and our lives are filled with your presence and surrendered to you, God, would you do that? God, we ask you to come and do that. God, we don't want to go another step in our life without the, the, the power of your presence with us as we go. Lord, I also pray for myself and my friends in this room. God, if, if we need a refilling, Lord, if we're dry, if we're weary, God, I thank you that you restore us. You're the lifter of our heads. You bring water into desert places. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us fresh and new that we could be aware of and experiencing the power and refreshing of your presence in our lives. Father, we're believing and trusting you for it. We thank you that you're a father who gives good gifts. Jesus, it's, it's by your name we can pray and we can ask boldly for this. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.